It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. One for three. One for three or yeah, one and that's two? That's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 708 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, April the 30th. We've almost gotten through April. Unbelievable. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. Of course, uh, you can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can find me at work at RaptorsHQ.com, of course. And please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got so much stuff for you going Across the network right now, this week, all the hosts across the board are taking a look at the best moments in their franchise's history and some great stuff coming out across the board as well. Uh, Really creative, cool, different talk. I mean, the Celtics show right now, as much as we hate the Boston Celtics, it's probably kind of cool to go back and talk about the 1985 Boston Celtics as they are doing on that show this week with John Corrales. It kind of complements pretty nicely with all of the content coming out with The Last Dance as well, so I'd highly recommend that. And please, just make sure you're supporting the show as you want to support. If you're a fantasy baseball fan, you know, you're getting ready for the season that may be coming or may not be coming. Either way, Scott Cullen has been doing an awesome job with Locked On Fantasy Baseball, doing team previews across the board, too, getting you ready. Uh, he's done Dynasty League stuff. It's a really great thing. And, of course, Scott Cullen, you might know from his decade or so on TV and on TSN in the past. So please go check out that show, too, if you're a fantasy baseball fan, champing at the bit to get some fantasy baseball content into your ears and get ready for the season season that may be on the way and it seems like there's maybe some optimism there even if maybe it's not responsible to play the billionaires will get their way either way uh on today's show it is the second part of my conversation from the defunct patreon vault uh of course the episode of primos pasta and ross from about a year and a half ago now with myself and josh Howe, where we talked about game seven against the brooklyn nets in 2014 really fun chat in this part of the conversation we talk about paul pierce whether or not he fouled kyle lowry on his game ending block we talk about the strange spacing on the final play the drawing up of the wrong side of the court by Dwayne Casey. We get some listener questions in as well and talk about the grander implications of that game on Raptors franchise history. So please enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about one of the ultimate life hacks, and that is Blinkist. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. Even now when you're stuck at home and you're quarantining and you're taking your time, you still have kids to worry about. You have to homeschool. You have to do all that. You don't always have a lot of time to work on personal development. There's an incredible app that solves that problem, though, and I highly recommend it. It is called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people are well known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your your commute or while you're doing chores around the house while you're quarantined or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, and health to history books as well. Blinkist has the latest titles from the bestsellers lists as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but you never had time to. 
I like Blinkist because, again, you can kind of do it while you do anything, while you're working out, while you're cooking, anything you're doing while you're quarantined at home, Blinkist can accompany it very, very well. And of course, there's a lot of popular books that you can find as well. Some wonderful titles you can check out. Sea Stories, My Life in Special Operations by William H. McRaven, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and you got sports titles as well, including Tiger Woods by Jeff Benedict and How Champions Think in Sports and Life by Dr. Bob Rotella and Bob Cullen. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer. Just for our audience, go to Blinkist.com NBA, try for free for seven days, and get 25% off your subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com NBA to start your free seven-day trial. Also, you'll save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com NBA. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And without further ado, let's get to the conversation about Game 7 against the Nets in 2014 with myself and Josh Howe. We have a, uh, a, a, a listener concern, I suppose, about this. Do you think this was a foul on Paul Pierce? Uh, I, I hate to say it, but no. No, it's a clean block, man. He, like, punches yeah. it away. It's a really good block. It's a, I, it I, I, fuck Paul Pierce forever, but that was a really good play. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's also the last play of a Game 7. Like, there was no way Kyle Lowry was getting that call, especially at that time. Yeah. Against Paul Pierce? No. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, Paul Pierce was just bigger, and he was there. Like, his hand gets all ball. So, yeah. Yeah, you could, you could look at it and say, like, maybe he got a little bit of the body, but, like, Lowry's surrounded by, like, three nets, and he's kind of just, like, like flying through the air. Um, yeah, it's, it's not a foul. The thing that's so perplexing about this play, too, is that they're playing, like, modern-ass basketball. Patrick Patterson's at center, and I guess one of Terrence Ross or DeMar DeRozan is the nominal power forward. Um, and, like... I feel like a couple years later, maybe they get this play drawn up for DeBrosen to get the inbound, and then you have Lowry spacing somewhere else, and yeah. you're not, and they're not able to just hone in so easily because yes, Ross is a shooter and Vasquez is a shooter, but I don't think they were really worried about those two getting those opportunities. Like they were looking for Kyle Lowry all the way here, and yeah, just uh, the, the the spacing is extremely strange. I, if there's any like I love Dwayne Casey, I thought Dwayne Casey was a fantastic coach. I understand the anti Casey hive. In and like why this play in particular would probably draw that it would start, sort of draw that ire towards Casey as a as a tactician, um, and obviously it didn't matter. He stuck around for many many years after this, but uh, always something that kind of stuck in my craw. And just the screen, the still image of this, it makes no sense, man. It really doesn't. The spacing, yeah. If you were to like draw like a like a circle around all the players, it would almost just be like a, a wide oval. <laughs> There's like an entire swath of the floor on the weak side where there is nobody. It just makes no sense at all to me. It's it's so it's so weird. Like even Vasquez, like he does eventually like kind of leave like the same uh sphere as DeRozan and like curl up to the top. But yeah. like by the time he does, Lowry's way too covered by guys to actually hit him. Yeah. Um and like this is where like we mentioned before, like you really miss Amir Johnson here. Like I think like, I trusted Amir Johnson on the role way more than Patrick Patterson. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, he was money. 
yeah, like if he'd been in there in place of Patterson, like I that could have changed things entirely. I, I wonder though, like, do you think that maybe Valanciunas should have been in for Patterson to set that screen just just to give Lowry maybe some more space? Um, I know Casey obviously had like uh, didn't trust Valanciunas, and Valanciunas did not play well in this game and all that stuff, and Patterson hadn't missed a shot. I get all that. Yeah. Um, and Patterson obviously is a better floor spacer or whatever, but really his whole you know point of being in this place to come set a screen and then roll that's that seems to be all he's there for yeah and Valanciunas is really good at that and there are a ton of times in this game where you can see like the early version of Lowry JV pick and roll like being really successful yeah so do you think maybe that might have been a better option I think I agree uh, entirely the the screen I'm just watching it back again on mute like the screen Patterson sets here is non-existent it does not even touch like he slips it before Williams even kind of like even gets close to him and like I don't know what what Patterson's expecting is going to happen from this like the the double is so quickly upon Kyle that it's insane like almost you could wonder with four seconds left here with Ross as that outlet maybe this is the time I'm looking at the still image now of like just after the screen is not set in, in theory it's set but it's not set at all like there is a bit of an outlet there for Kyle to get it to Ross and maybe Ross has a bit of an open lane to the basket but that would be such a quick read to make I, I, I don't I don't begrudge Lowry for not making it at the time but yeah there are just like so many things wrong with the way this play is designed it just makes no sense to me um do you the question that came in let's get to our first listener question here came from I have it here uh, Vival Sivakumar asks the rewatching the video looks like passing to Terrence Ross who was open after the three Brooklyn players collapsed down to Kalo or to two Pat would have been better options uh, who do you think should have taken that last shot um, are you okay that Kyle ended up hanging on to it or like just with the split second decision making there and maybe just the way that he'd been cooking in that fourth quarter were you okay with his decision here yeah, ultimately I think so, but yeah. it's kind of it feels weird to say that with just because of how strange the play was. Yeah, uh, I mean, like I, you definitely want the ball in Kyle's hands initially, so that made sense getting him the ball right away, and then just but watching the rest of the play develop, it was so weird that it was like I don't blame Kyle at all for being like, well, this is like this is just so weird, and I'm just I'm just gonna try and win it. So yeah, I mean, he only had a few seconds to make a lot of these decisions, so I, I don't blame him at all. I, I'm fine with Kyle taking the shot. I almost wonder if maybe they should have just drawn up. I mean, 6.2 seconds is pretty – it's like you're kind of on the borderline of whether or not you can draw up a thing where you can ISO a guy. Um, you kind of need a little bit more time to clear that out. Maybe if they had like 10 to 12 seconds, they could do that. But I almost wonder if just not inviting the extra defensive attention with like the half-hearted screen might have been the better call here. You just give it to either Kyle or Damar and say, all right, go score on whoever's guarding you. Because like the one defender on the team you don't want to be involved in this play is Kevin Garnett. And having Patterson set the screen for Lowry actively invites Kevin Garnett to be part of the play. So that's yeah. another thing, too. Um, yeah, just uh, all of it. I mean, learning experience, right? Like, wins and lessons. <laughs> this is, uh, I think, a learning experience for Dwayne Casey. This was his first real crunch time play design in a, a very important game as the Raptors coach. So, you know, you're not going to be amazing at it right away. But, again, totally understand the gripes people had with Casey and his play calling. And, like, why this play might have started the fire Casey hive. Um <laughs> Just uh, a very disappointing thing altogether. But I guess after the play's over, after the game ends, and you have some time to sit with it, for me, I ended up kind of making my peace with it pretty quickly just because, man, this was the first year where the Raptors had made the playoffs in, you know, half a decade or more. 
and they, they weren't even supposed to be there. They were supposed to lose the series. Most people picked them to lose the series. And yes, the heartbreak of Game 7 was real, but within like a few days, I was like, you know what? Like, this is fine. And this was sort of the origin of It's Fine, Sean. Um, after... Uh, after the series, I think I kind of wrote my first ever like blog back at my old site that is now deleted from the internet for good reason. Um, I like I think I wrote like yeah, if Kyle's back and the team is the same, like, that's very good. There's no, they don't need to make big changes to this team. Just have it come back and be the same, and that's that's all you really want. And I was just so content with what the team was at that time, considering all the crap that had come before. And obviously that that would become tested. It's fine. Sean's brand would become tested as the the Wizard series transpired and all the sort of playoff shortcomings of the later years would happen. But I, I don't know what what was your sort of line of thinking after the series ended, as you had some sort of some days to marinate in the result. Um. Yeah, it definitely took me some days too. Like, because yeah. uh, I sat there like a lot of fans did, I'm sure, and just watched Kyle lying on the on the court and. Rosen basically came over to help pick him up, but like, <sighs> man, just watching him lie there, uh, so brutal. That guy's so competitive. He wanted it so bad. He wanted to be the guy who hit it. Ah, it was so brutal. And this was just, you know, Lowry in his early stages of starting to be all star, or all star, all star, Kyle Lowry, um, where, you know, he's entering this phase of his career where he's like, he's now like, having a renaissance with Toronto Mm -hmm. and just to have it end that way just and you could see it like more than any of the fans um it just it just killed them it was so brutal but in terms of like them going forward um yeah I mean I think I would have been sort of in a similar mindset where like I enjoyed that team so much just because of what they were able to do Um, my favorite Raptors season probably of all time maybe this season's going to contend with that but like god damn it it was it was yeah. such a delight and last year was amazing too but like yeah, just I, the I unexpectedness like, man it was wonderful yeah it really was it was definitely more i mean last season i think is my favorite raptor season yeah. um but uh yeah it, that one was definitely uh more unexpected like i think last season last season was also unexpected like That's because true. it kind of turned into the raptors having like people say that they should have um like t- uh, you know finals aspirations yeah uh, which nobody would have said before last season started. It would have been like, oh, the Raptors are solid and they're going to be there, you know, in the top four seats and they're going to be good again. And then they were unreal. So that was fun and that's a different kind of expectations. But you're right, like the season, that season um, in 2014 was just like, was incredible because they basically, they were like, they were a car made out of spare parts and it turned out that that car was really damn fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The thing, too, yeah. this was the first Kyle for agency summer as well, right? Do you remember being, like, concerned that Lowry was going to leave? Because I – just the way it all happened, the just the response from the city to the team in that postseason and just sort of the, the vibe that was around the team and also the fact that it was Kyle's first real run of actual success and it seemed like him and Dwayne Casey had kind of finally, you know, leveled out whatever differences they had by that point or at least kind of had be- re- learned to remain civil – like, were you concerned Kyle was going to... I know there was rumors of, like, the Heat being after him and things like that, but uh, I don't know. For me, I was like, yeah, Kyle's coming back. Like, I don't, I don't really have that much concern about this. Yeah, I didn't have that much concern either, honestly, um, that time. Uh, it was more because I felt like he was going to have that unfinished business mentality. Yeah. Um, that, and especially with the way the city did rally around him and, and his teammates and how he became such good friends with the Rosen and, and all of that. Um I thought this was a really good place for him. Again, he had started his career renaissance with Toronto, so um, you know he was, he was playing really well. He had a, a pretty good series. Otherwise, um, 
from the, from a couple moments and one or two games. But you know, he this was really his place where he was able to kind of take the keys and take the reins and um, get a chance to be the guy in a lot of ways. So I, I thought he was going to come back. Yeah, um, kind of. I think speaks to the power of that season and the power of Masai that. You know, when you have a star free agent who's about to leave, and you—I was—I mean, maybe I'm misremembering how I felt about it. Maybe I was more concerned at the time than I feel like I was now. But in hindsight, it feels weird to ever have been concerned about it. And um, I think it speaks to that power of that season. That well, it, you went into the off season not worrying that the good player was going to leave. You went in sort of feeling confident for the first time, like, oh, hey, this team is real and has like legitimate, you know, things to offer someone who wants to play basketball here. And that was nice to see. Um, another Twitter question came in. This one from Jake Collings, who I believe is a friend of yours. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He, <laughs> he asked, uh, should Dwayne Casey have played more of Landry Fields in Game 7 or in the series in general? Uh, he did a pretty good job of sort of being a Joe Johnson stopper, according to Jake in this series. Uh, I have my own opinion on this, but do you have an opinion about this? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, NBA.com's matchup data doesn't go – it's pretty, like – uh, new, yeah. so it doesn't go beyond last season, I don't think, yeah. uh, which kind of sucks because that would have been really useful for like possession by possession basis to yeah. check this out. Because um, uh, I do have some memories of Landry Fields when he was out there, like playing pretty good defense on Joe Johnson. The thing is, uh, he only played 26 total minutes in the series. Yeah, did Landry Fields, um, and the Raptors had a really great defensive rating when he was out there. Yeah, uh, like an, an 81 defensive rating. But the problem with that is he gives you nothing offensively. So yeah. it was just as bad, um, you know, offensively. They had like an 87 offensive rating when he was out there. So like you know, the defensive rating goes up, the offense just falls off completely. Um, he played the most minutes he played in that series in game two. Yeah. So it was 17 minutes. And he only played in three of the actual games in the series. And the Raptors did win that game. But Joe Johnson in that game where Landry played 17 minutes, uh, he scored 18, and he did it on 53% shooting. Yeah. So, uh, Joe Johnson was still scoring. It didn't matter who was on him. Um, the dude had a great series, and uh, yeah, Landry Fields might have had a few possessions where he did a pretty good job um, bodying up uh, uh, Joe Johnson, like maybe in the post and stuff. Like He was a pretty strong guy and all that, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, Joe Johnson was going to get buckets, man. He was in his prime. He was like 28 years old at this point, and he's just an absolute Raptors killer. Like, uh, you know, they were they were going to they're going to get it. Plus, the the two games, like two other games that the Raptors won, um, they didn't play Landry Fields at all. So, like, they could clearly win the games without Fields. Mm-hmm. So, I will slightly correct you. He was 32 during this series. Um, oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, I was looking at something else. But he was. This was like his. This was his last All Star season. This is the year that he made the All Star team ahead of Kyle Lowry. Um, which I think a lot of people had issue with because he only averaged like yeah. 16 and three and, and two assists. Like he wasn't particularly, you know, dynamic. It was like Joe Johnson, Lance Stevenson, and Kyle Lowry for that last spot, and Joe Johnson got it. Um, seven-time All Star Joe Johnson. <laughs> so there was that sort of yeah. like animus kind of you know boiling beneath the surface as well with the series too. Like that motherfucker took all Kyle Lowry's All Star job. Like screw that. Um, and then yeah, there was no one that was guarding the, guarding him in that series. Landry Fields in this series. Yeah, again, he only played one game with extended run. Game two, he had 17-39 of court time. He uh, had no points, four rebounds, one assist, two steals, one block. I'm assuming a couple of those steals or one of those steals or one of those blocks came against Joe Johnson, considering, I guess, sort of the 
Um, maybe it's just like the legend that he was a good Joe Johnson stopper. But again, Joe Johnson had only one really bad game in this series, and I believe it was game four, and Landry Fields was inactive for that game, right? So I don't think Landry Fields had like a, any sort of impact on Joe Johnson's effectiveness. Uh, he also, again, over, over 26 minutes in the series, attempted two shots and missed both. Like he just was such a negative on offense. That you like, yes, they had a positive net rating in his 26 minutes with that 87 offensive rating you mentioned, the 81 defensive rating. But I just think over the course of time, you stretch that sample a little bit more, you're really sort of testing fate there to see how well your defense can hold up with your offense being that inept with him on the court. So I'm okay with Landry Fields having not played. Um, very good lip syncer he was, but I, uh, yeah, I'm all good. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, what else can we get to from this game? Do you have any like stray thoughts about what transpired during this one? Uh, do you remember Dwayne Casey taking the subway to this game? Hell yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, isn't that wild? Like just the I uh, just I remember that like the traffic was so crazy. Uh, everybody going to the game that Casey couldn't get there by car um so he took the subway i just and there was a photo and it was posted to twitter or whatever and it was yeah. like blowing up before the game um he's just sitting there on his phone in the subway like i remember that i don't know it was like a classic Dwayne casey moment um yeah just one of the things i remember from that game that I, I i love that i love that stuff that casey does he just like he just that's the way he is just a dude man just a regular dude who coaches basketball um, another thing too that uh, I think kind of defined that this was very much a bridge season between the garbage and the good was that the 3D baseline is still in effect during this game. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have takes on the 3D baseline? This lasted a couple years at least um, and was sort of a laughing stock around the league. It looked weird on TV. When did you ever see it in person? Um, I don't think I did. No. It looked fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> It was like sideways painted letters. It, you couldn't uh, read it in person. Yet on TV, it was for this like desired effect of a, of a 3D baseline. And then when there was like cameramen sitting on it, actually during the final play, I'm looking at it right now, there are so many cameramen on the baseline that they're kind of like clouding the top part of the 3D imagery. So it, it's, you're not even getting the full Raptors logo on the end. And yeah, like if you're just going to just have a sandwich board thingy or one of those little triangle boards and just have Raptors there if you're that concerned about having that effect for TV. Absolutely insane that that should that, that should happen. And like they were the only team that, that dabbled in that, right? Am I am I mistaken there? No, they're definitely the only team that did it. I remember because yeah. that's why everybody made fun of them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I remember I was, I remember seeing those uh, the, the, just the baselines. I remember thinking, like, pretty much the whole season, I was like, why, though? <laughs> like, Who is this purpose? for? Yeah. Yeah, like, who was calling for, like, man, you know it would be awesome? If we fixed the sideline. <laughs> like, that's, that's so low on my list of priorities. Um, I can't even imagine. But, yeah, they did it. I, I still, it's so weird. Every year that passes, I know less and less as to why, as to why that existed. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Uh, was this also the last year of those jerseys, or did they... Yeah, it was the last year of those jerseys, I believe, no? Maybe I'm wrong. Right. Uh, that seems right. So it was the next 2014-15 was the next season. Uh, they might have had the... Actually, I think they had the old jerseys for uh, that series as well. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. There's a picture with the, with the old jerseys. They ended up changing it. Kind of had to, had to wipe the slate clean after the embarrassment that was that year. <laughs> they did have the, the Raptors purple jerseys, though, the, the throwbacks for that season, because it was the, the 20th season, I believe, so... That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a, a certainly a, a very uh, memorable game. Is like, where does this rank on like all time memorable Raptors games for you? In ter- not just like heartbreaks, but just memorable games that you'll go back and just think about for however long. Uh, it's definitely up there, just because of like how fun that that season was, and it was like the most memorable game, obviously from the playoffs. So I definitely like have it in my in the back of my mind more than a lot of other Raptors playoff games. Where did you watch it? I forgot to ask you this off the top. Where did you watch it? Uh, so 2014 in the spring, it was the series started in April, went to May. I would have been uh, just finishing my second year university. Yep. So I would have been back in my hometown working for the summer. I would have probably just started, um, just finished exam time. So I would have been at home watching uh, probably with my parents, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's where I would have been, yeah. I remember this vividly. I had just come home from my final year at Carleton. I still didn't have a job, I don't think. I was just kind of kicking around, being sad, and being like, I miss <laughs> school and don't have any money, and this is terrible. And the Raptors were the one sort of beacon at the time. And I remember... My parents had just redone their basement, and I was in the brand new, freshly finished basement just like a couple days after moving home. I remember I had watched most of the series in Ottawa with a bunch of people who gave no shits about basketball whatsoever. I actually had to fight with them for game two to get it on TV. We were watching, we were at my friend's house, and we were watching like playoff hockey or some shit. One of my friends was a Habs fan, and it was like Tampa Bay against Montreal, and they were like, we're watching this game, and I was like, the Raptors are playing. They're like, we don't care, we're watching hockey. Eventually, Tampa Bay went up like 5 nothing, and I got my way, and we got to put on the the Leaf game, but I remember just being so excited to be able to just like, or sorry, the Raptors game, not the Leaf game. I remember just being so excited to get home where I could just like own the TV and watch the Raptors all I wanted to, and I also recall my parents had been like invested in the playoffs. They'd watched games with me since I'd gotten home. I think they watched game six with me. Uh, that would have been the first game since I got back, I believe, but... Uh, we were. I was watching Game Seven by myself because my parents were like, "We're going grocery shopping. We don't. We don't really care about Game 7. And my mom's like, "I can't even watch it. It hurts me too much to watch. It's too painful." Um, they've since come around, and now my mom will text me takes during like the Warriors game on Thursday, for example. She's like, "Woo, crazy game!" Ah, and I'm like, "Yeah, mom, I love you. You're the best." Um, but the this game I watched by myself in their freshly redone basement and was on my feet for pretty much the entire time. Um, and was just like completely gripped by the entire thing. It was ridiculous, and I didn't have anyone to sort of yell at. Didn't have anyone to be an outlet for me. I was home alone watching this game in the basement, and I uh, I will remember that forever. It was pretty rad. I like watching games with people now, like people who know what they're doing. Like I I don't like watching games with like people who have no 
people don't get, people don't give a shit. But watching a game like a very close game with people who genuinely know what's happening and very are very much invested. Like I was watching the Memphis game this week. I did the live podcast for Lockdown Raptors and myself, Vivek Jacob, uh, Kelsey O'Brien, and then my girlfriend and uh, my co-host on my radio show, Katrina Squaz, and we're all watching. We were all like terribly, terribly invested. All like getting mad at the same little intricacies. It was great. It's like watching a game with William Liu. It's one of the best experiences that I can recommend. I watched the game um, where Terrence Ross had the buzzer beater called back against the Kings with Will. He was at my house for that. And it's just like uh, you have to watch a game with Will. It's an experience. It's like watching with like the most intelligent, angry sports fan of all time. It's like he's get, he gets mad at like blown pick and roll coverages and not just like bad calls. <laughs> it's like a, a far more detailed anger uh, or sports fan anger. So, but yeah, I, still, I, I will always remember watching this game by myself and just sort of the internal strife that was going on inside of me. It's uh, it's probably like a top three memorable game, memorable game, nah, memorable game for me. It's like this one. Game game five against the Pacers probably, and yeah. game four against the Cavs when the Cavs were bearing down, scored on like eleven straight possessions, and the Raptors ended up pulling it out. Those are the games that stand out for me, I think most. Um, which is weird that two of those are positive games considering the Raptors' history. But um, you know, I'm glad I have this one sad boy one in there as well to keep it, to keep me honest. Um, any stray thoughts before we wrap this thing up? Uh, yeah, there's a, uh, if you want to feel a little bit better about this game as a Raptors fan, yeah. um, there's a full YouTube video you can find called Poor Darren Decisions that's just like <laughs> trolling Darren Williams <laughs> and how incredibly passive he is in the entire game and just all the shots he gives up that yeah. are like amazing looks. Oh, uh, it is incredible. He was and, super annoying like, in this series, and, if I recall, right? Like he, well, he was kind of done, but he had some big games, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, he had some big moments for sure. Um, but yeah, he was definitely like, uh, I mean, Darren Williams was never really that guy who's like super aggressive, always looking for his shot kind of a player. But like in this series, he was kind of, he was getting to that point where it was starting to be, if you will, on the decline a little bit. He could clearly still play. He was still good. But yeah. it was starting to be like, ah, I don't know why he's not doing some of these things that he really should be doing. Yeah, uh, this was, he was only 29 during this series. It felt like he was 38. He's only 34 now, which is ridiculous, considering, yeah. like, what Chris Paul is doing and the sort of the comparisons that used to go on between those two, you know, incessantly forever and ever and ever. Um, yeah, Darren Williams had some nice games in this series. He had a couple rough shooting games as well. Game two, he had a 5 of 15. He was actually kind of the bellwether for whether or not the Nets were good in this series. He, uh, you know, he had an 8 of 16 game where he had 23, 4, 5, boards and four assists in game six and kind of led them to the win there uh he was not good in either of the two losses in games four and five for the nets four of 12 and one three of seven and another and yeah he like his his good performances kind of were entwined with the nets good performances here so kind of a bummer that i guess his one bad performance in a win came in this game seven (laughs) um considering what it led up to it you know they held him only to 13 points on three of eight shooting he was 0-1 from deep went to the line a bunch but was not particularly effective and as i i I didn't know this darren mistakes (laughs) video existed but i'm gonna go watch it now to make myself feel better about it all um ultimately it's hard to be sad about this game really considering what happened after it and how the raptors did and like the promise that was kind of in the air after this series ended was kind of cashed in right and like it, it was 
the start of better things. And yes, it took a few years to get to that point where it wasn't like the Wizards loss and all this like shitty stuff that happened. They, it took them a couple years to win that playoff series finally, but it was uh, it felt pretty validating that just to look back over the last few years and see it, how it all started with this and how crushing it was at the time. Like, just, I guess, be thankful, I suppose, that this wasn't, like, the last flourish of playoff basketball before, you know, another sort of dip and another sort of post-2008 swoon where things kind of got terrible and they lost players or everything and anything like that. Because former Raptors history, like, past Raptors history would have suggested that this season would have been great and then it would have gotten bad once again. But it didn't happen and they're still very good to this day. So that's very cool. Um, Josh, man, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was fantastic. Got some good feelings out. Um, as I've been doing, I haven't really touched on this very much while I've done the podcast. I've kind of just done it, but I've been getting the listeners to pick the song that goes in at the end of every show. Uh, Josh, do you have a song that you would like me to play to, uh, to wrap this thing up here today? Yeah, I think, uh, just based on the subject matter of this game, I, I'm going to end up going with what hurts the most. <laughs> yeah, probably probably the Rascal Flats version. Um, but you can pick a version, whatever which one you like the best. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll go with Rascal Flats. We've, yeah, we've gone very heavy on like indie stuff, so we can uh, we can mix it up and go Rascal Flats. Okay, good because that's that's the song that plays in my head every time I look at Kyle Lowry lying on the floor. Um, <laughs> oh man, just, just the pain, man, the pain. <sighs> so yeah, hopefully uh, whoever's listening to this at the end, uh, that's what. That's what you'll uh, you'll think of is just Kyle Lowry. There, you can even go to the video and just watch Kyle and just listen to the song and get all those emotions out. It's good to cry sometimes, you know. Yeah. Also, Porky Kyle Lowry, very good in this series. Very yeah. on, very very Porky. Um, it was still a couple of years before he slimmed down, but it's always nice to re to recall that he was still a very good player while also being a little bit of a husky boy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, he just still got the booty now. That's. There yeah. you go. As long as that stays intact. I mean, I don't think any amount of exercise is going to get rid of that, but here's hoping. Um, Josh, man, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Primo's Pasta and Ross, where can people check your workout? Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's awesome to be on a uh, Patreon podcast. I feel kind of special. Um, you can find me and my work. Uh, you can find me at Howvolution on Twitter, um, and you can find my work at Raptors Republic, occasionally Ball Breakdown, and movie stuff is on scene creek so you can go there if you like that and the writers write podcast it's very good oh my, oh my god i always forget to plug writers. i don't know why i always forget to plug writers right but uh <laughs> yeah i have a podcast too it's called writers right like sean just said um it's really fun i bring on writers and we talk about the last thing they've written and the writing process i just did the first mailbag um on uh on it came out yesterday but we recorded it on thursday it was with anthony doyle um and yeah we just talked you know, a bunch of stuff. Celtics, video games. It was fun. Right on, man. I haven't listened yet, but I'm excited for the answer to my question I gave you guys. So. Oh, I had a good one for worst. Okay, we'll get on that. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks again to Josh Howe for joining me uh, 18 months ago to talk about Game 7 against the Nets. Of course, a timeless game that I had a lot of fun going over with Josh, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, we'll be back again on Friday with an episode, a mailbag episode, with Vivek and Katie. That should be a lot of fun, so keep an eye out there. Also, keep an eye out next week. Some fun news, new thing dropping, perhaps with Katie, perhaps not. I don't know. I won't spoil it beyond that, but keep an eye out. And uh, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, please tell your smart speaker now to, to go play Locked On Fantasy Baseball or Locked On Blue Jays or Locked On Maple Leafs. And have a great day, everybody. Stay safe out there. We'll talk to you on Friday. 
Hey Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.